This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. The European Court of Justice recently said that the ride-sharing company Uber should be regulated like a taxi company and not a technology service. The ruling came out of a complaint by taxi drivers in Barcelona, as well as their association, which want to prevent Uber from setting up in the Spanish city. But Uber is having issues in a variety of locations, including London. This ruling could have wide-ranging impact across Europe, and now you have to wonder whether or not at some point it will have an impact here in the U.S. Joining us on the phone to discuss this right now, John Paul McDuffie, who is director of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation here at the Wharton School at the Mac Institute for Innovation Management. John Paul, great to catch up with you again. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, Your reaction to this? Um, I think it's a a pretty big deal. Um, It has probably more impact uh, in Europe, but as a precedent, not just for Uber and other ride-hailing services, but for any of the companies that have tried to claim that they should be regulated as platform companies and not as something else, you know, transportation company for Uber, hotel company for Airbnb. Uh, I think it's, it's you know, it's, it, it, it marks something new. We'll see if it has lasting impact. It could prompt either other rulings that disagree or a modification of some of the laws that might affect the gig economy uh, in clarifying ways. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, with this ruling being made by this court, do you think at some point it could have an impact here in the U.S.? Well, you know, in, in, in the larger set of debates around these issues, I think certainly yes. I mean, the U.S. tends to think of its approach to regulation as quite different from Europe. Uh, and often prides itself on uh, having a different approach to regulation. So I think, um, and and certainly in the current political climate, with a lot of deregulation going on, I don't see an immediate um, impact. But, you know, a lot of us are uh, watching these issues of, you know, what are the boundaries of these new industries uh, that are platform-based and the things that, these companies were able to get away with in the early days, either by outright breaking rules or just taking advantage of, of, of ambiguity in the regulations, uh, is with some maybe predictable lag effect is starting to be clarified, tightened up in ways that will uh, affect all of us. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios here in Philadelphia, joined by John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School, uh, the director of program of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So when you think of Europe, and, and obviously we're you know talking about this from a distance to a degree, uh, we are hearing, John Paul, the stories of the issues that are happening over there. Uh, so I guess the question is, how do you think this ruling will impact other cities in Europe? Well, I, I, and one thing that I certainly 
learned in the coverage is that in many countries, Uber has already had to agree to be governed by the laws affecting transportation companies. So, uh, you know, Uber spokesperson in in response to this EU ruling said, well, look, it's only going to affect us in four countries where we've been able to do our original model, you know, including the Uber Pop, which uses unlicensed drivers and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, their first claim is we've already been adapting and working with local governments to make some of these changes so the impact is not is not going to be that big. Well, first of all, they didn't really want to make those changes. They were they were forced to. They were dearly hoping that the EU would rule in their favor, which would have given them ammunition to argue against the European countries where they've faced restrictions. Yeah. And instead, it goes the other way for them. It, as I said, it's also a, a big um, kind of signal of where the thinking on these issues is going. Uh, it's possible that any company um, would, would have, with some lag time, faced uh, a new regulatory response. But it's also true that Uber moved fastest, uh, ignored regulations the most, yeah. has had a lot of damage to its reputation, um, particularly this year. I think uh, everyone at Uber <laughs> would agree it's been a, uh, I think the Latin phrase is anus horribilis, a horrible year um, for them. And uh, is Uber's uh, reputational damage made it easier for regulators to be emboldened in ruling against them? If Uber had uh, done things differently, would it have changed the climate in which these rulings now consistently seem to be against them? Right. I think we won't know. Um, but, you know, they have a appeal of in London of London Transport revoking their license they're allowed to operate while that appeal is being considered um, I was in London a few weeks ago and most of the people I talked to thought oh well they'll eventually uh, allow Uber to operate again with maybe a few new conditions and some you know forcing them to do some new things or apologize or said they'll do things differently right but you know this kind of ruling at the EU might um, at some level either stretch it out or just embolden the uh, Transport London folks to take a tougher stand or maybe not renew Uber at all. Well, the interesting thing in reading up about this, I noticed that I guess in certain locations in Europe, Uber is considered a transit service. That is, that's how they are actually categorized. Uh, France is apparently one of the, those locations. So as you mentioned, the rules in Europe are, are seemingly different, but it is interesting that in uh, you know different portions of the EU, Uber has been considered a different thing. Yeah, and, and I think you know it, it does show that Uber can adapt to different regulatory requirements. Like I say, not not happily, but they have been forced to in some of these European countries. Probably what it does is reduce the competitive gap between them and taxis, make it easier for other competitors using platform technologies to come into the space. Um, you know, I think a lot of the high valuations of Uber were based on how successfully, how aggressively, how fast they grew, became a brand name, and looked like they were headed towards monopoly status in a lot of markets, at which point they'd really be able to name their price and, and, and generate high returns. It doesn't look like it's playing out that way. I mean, right. they're, they're losing market share to Lyft uh, all over the U.S. at pretty rapid rates. And I just predict it's going to stabilize not as monopoly, but as 
more oligopoly, you know, a couple of big players in most markets and then some strong local players. And uh, this kind of regulatory ruling probably makes it possible for more competitors to stay in the mix. Which is inter- uh, interesting because you mentioned in terms of all the competition that is in this field right now, I noticed uh, earlier today a story uh, that talked about uh, basically Uber's version in China had gone out and raised, I believe they said, $4 billion for efforts outside of the country of China. So, I mean, certainly there are going to be, it feels like, more and more players in this market in the future. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I I think something that has helped Uber in this very bad year is the fact that SoftBank, uh, which sees uh, tremendous potential in all of these new mobility options, is uh, prepared to give them uh, a lot of money to continue to fuel their growth and expansion and, and, and the subsidies that they've needed to, to continue. Um, Uber's share, uh, I mean, number of rides has continued to grow. Uh, you know, these services are still growing. And so Uber keeps uh, being able to grab a, a good share of, of that growth. Um, I just think what is looking really different after 2017 is Uber's ability to be the dominant and almost monopolistic player in many markets. Uh, that's starting to look gone for good. We're talking with John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't join us by phone, uh, you can uh, more than welcome to give a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking about the ruling in the uh, European Union against Uber, basically saying that they are a transportation service and not a technology service. Again, the way for you to join in, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to the phone, again, on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Not only does Uber have to deal with all the competition, John Paul, but certainly all the other issues that they have had to deal with over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, it it has been a challenging time just even looking outside of the actual service itself that they've had to deal with. Yeah, and um, I mean, we've we've had other shows where we've uh, dis- discussed many of these things. They, they keep building up. Uh, I, I think the, you know, if for one group of customers, uh, the sexual harassment claims within the company don't bother them, maybe the hacking of customer data bothers them. If somebody isn't so bothered by the hacking of customer data, since that's commonplace, maybe they don't like the, you know, illegal software program that Uber was using to uh, evade regulatory uh, scrutiny, or maybe they don't like the alleged theft of intellectual property from right. a competitor, Waymo. Uh, you know, th- these, these, these hits to Uber's reputation come from so many different sides. And, um, you know, ultimately, it's, it's interesting. One, one, one uh, kind of theme that's come up around the, the long-term future when maybe there aren't drivers, right? The short-term issue is, are drivers employees or just contractors? And we can talk about that. Yeah. The longer-term issue with autonomous vehicles may be that there aren't drivers. And then the question is, okay, so maybe there's a different level of trust issue that arises in that situation. Some of that's about who has the best technology, but some of it probably goes to which brand do you trust the most. So, 
you know, if Uber takes a hit over and over again to its reputation, are they going to be the trusted um, mobility provider for uh, so many different customers, uh, particularly in the expanding set that haven't started to use Uber yet? I think it creates this huge opening for a competitor like Lyft, which has built its corporate image on being the the anti-Uber, you know, the better than Uber. Your comments again, welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to the phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. To get a little perspective on this from the European side, we are joined by Valerio Stefano, who is a law professor at the University of Lavigne, which is in Belgium. Valerio, great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Well, it's great to be there, actually. It's great to be be contacted. It's uh, nice to hear that Europe is still interesting on the other side of the ocean. It's it, it, it very much is Valerio, and obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're talking about a, a situation with a company like Uber, uh, it, it's drawing a lot of attention over here. Uh, the reaction, or I should say, the ruling by the by the European Court. How did you view that, and what do you see as the impact in some of the locations over in Europe there? Well, I mean, I, I think it's just like a, a, a very uh, water is wet judgment, right? Uh, what what it finds, it's quite it's quite basic. It basically says that Uber is not just a digital provider, but it's also a transportation provider. And of course, I mean, this is I mean, it, it should be given for granted because uh, Uber actively intervenes in the provision of uh, the transportation services. They just don't they don't just put customers and uh, drivers in uh, in contact they they also um, set the price of the fare uh, they also uh, have a system of ratings so they also control how the drivers put in place the uh, and, and and perform the services and all that so it's basically something that's uh, um, it should actually be given for granted but actually when 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 it comes to uber you to uber you never know um but i mean i i actually um was i actually think that the the the, the judgment doesn't say anything new anything we didn't know right. uh in advance now what the impact will be in europe uh, is still uh, not um easy to 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 assess um i think uh, so the, the judgment first of all is with uh, is about uber pop so uh, it's not about Uber Black, so the the, the premium service of Uber. It's right. about uh, Uber Pop. But I mean, what the, everything the court says is also relevant for Uber Black, and even it's even more relevant for Uber Black because in in Uber Black, uh, Uber uh, intervenes even more on the provision of the service. Now, what the judgment uh, the judgment means for the moment is that uh, every uh, every one of the twenty eight state of the EU, of the national state of the EU, uh, are allowed to regulate Uber under their transportation law. Right. Whereas if Uber hadn't been uh, classified as a transportation service, then um, the member states would have been uh, much more the end side. They couldn't have regulated so much uh, as now. So they can regulate Uber. They can, in uh, in some cases, uh, subject Uber to all the regulation that the transportation service uh, are subjected to in national laws, which can be quite uh, uh, quite important and relevant. And beyond that, uh, even though the judgment is not about uh, uh, employment and labor, 
I think the judgment is going to have an impact also on employment and labor because it's clear that the court uh, assesses that Uber has a strong power on the drivers. Um, so, I mean, if I was a, a, a lawyer for any of the driver, I would actually say, look, the Court of Justice not only said that Uber is a transportation service, and this is already very important, but also said that the drivers are controlled uh, in, a, um, in a very uh, invasive way by Uber. How? So I think it can have impacts on many, in many in many directions. The, the most relevant one is, of course, transportation, but also beyond that. How many of, 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 the, uh, of the 28 or, or soon to be 27 countries in the, uh, in the EU uh, believe and have it regulated this way that Uber is a technology service and not a transit company? Well, uh, at the moment, I'm not aware uh, of uh, any country in which there's not a problem. I mean, or, or been, at least there's not been an issue with this classification between uh, transportation and, and digital. And also, right. of course, after Spain uh, and the Spanish court uh, sent the case over uh, to the Court of Justice, of course, everybody was uh, trying to wait and understand what the Court of Justice will do. So um, at the moment, I, I, I think that uh, every one of the states will start to regulate Uber as a, as a transportation service. Uh, I don't think there is any obstacle in that. What had been the rules for taxi drivers uh, in the EU in terms of, of pay and benefits? What, what were the standards that traditional taxi companies had to come up to? Well, um, so the point is this, that uh, taxi drivers and transportation is pretty much a national police, uh, policy. Like this kind of transportation services uh, is pretty much a, transport, uh, a national policy. So there, are, there has been more than 28 because also region and, uh, and, and, and cities can have um, jurisdiction in ruling how the, 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 the taxi services should work. Normally, uh, the taxi services are uh, regarded to be uh, independent contractors, but there might be also states in which they can be considered employees. It all depends on how they actually work. Um, so it actually doesn't matter if the taxi services per se are normally considered as independent contractors, because right. what the court says is that Uber controls the uh, drivers in a way that uh, it can be even more invasive than what we are normally used to to see with uh, with taxi drivers. So you don't think there will be, even with this ruling, there won't be a whole lot of change in terms of how Uber operates in, in a lot of these locations throughout the EU? Well, um, probably there is going to be a change. Maybe some, some national laws will be uh, also changed to to see how to fit Uber into the national transportation law. Um, some of them have been uh, approved in a, in a pre-digital era. Okay. And then uh, you can also have uh, impacts on employment law, for instance. So, uh, I mean, there, there's going to be a, a big impact. But for the moment, we are not able to see a, a unified direction in the EU because now the issue is much more with the national states rather than, than with the uh, EU as a whole. Are, are there issues then potentially because of this change of definition uh, with Uber, are there, are there potential issues with the gig economy, with companies that are in that gig economy over in Europe? 
Well, uh, of course, the regulation, uh, the, the, the judgment only uh, impacts on uh, directly on Uber, and it's uh, based on the transportation right. uh, service that Uber provides. So uh, the, any impact will not be direct, okay? Um, it's not that the court uh, judgment is going to be um, binding on uh, other kind of platforms. But, of course, what the uh, judgment says is that when we talk about the platform economy, when we talk about the gig economy, we should go beyond the labels that the companies and platforms uh, tribute to themselves right. to look at the reality of, uh, of what happens, in fact. And uh, in this case, uh, the court went beyond the label, beyond the what Uber was claiming to be, to see, well, actually, to say, uh, actually, uh, you are doing much more than what you claim to do. So um, probably what we will see in also another gig economy uh, case around Europe is that courts will be more uh, keen on investigating the realities of the fact. And mm -hmm. if there's a control, if there's a strong um, interference between uh, the platform and what the um, individual uh, contractors provide, uh, then they might also be reclassified. John Paul uh, McDuffie also with us. Let me ask you that, jo John Paul. How do you think the gig economy is going to be impacted by something like this? Obviously, maybe not so much in, in the United States right now, but at least uh, potentially some of those companies over in Europe. Yeah, I, I mean, this issue of whether the Uber drivers and similar kinds of roles are employees or independent contractors is at the heart of um, kind of the new business model and in some ways the cost advantage of many of these new services. So, you know, whether it's uh, Instacart, which is doing deliveries of people's grocery orders or any number of other services, it, it, it strikes to the heart of, of many of these business models. And, um, you know, so I think if uh, if there's a regulatory claim that, uh, well, if we just look closely at Uber, we see not only that it's obviously a transportation company, but we see that it controls the activities of these drivers so much that it's a lot closer to uh, employee status than to, quote, independent contractor status. Um, that could uh, push for a ruling that they're employees. You know, many people, I think, are dissatisfied with this to you know two part distinction and you have to be in one bucket or the other and uh i think some rulings towards the employee status side of things yeah. probably won't actually throw all of these companies into having regular employment contracts but will intensify the scrutiny on maybe need for uh, either revision of categories or creation of some new categories i i came across one reference it might have been in england but anyway to um a category of dependent contractors so they're contractors but let's acknowledge that they're not independent they're dependent and so with that would come perhaps some benefits or certain kinds of rights and protections for those individuals that the independent contractor category wouldn't have 
We are joined on the phone by John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School and also by Valerio Stefano, who is a law professor at the University of Lavigne in Belgium. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess the, the other question for you both, and John Paul, I'll start with you, is uh, is there a concern of kind of a hindrance of innovation by doing this? Sure, and, uh, and and I think we'll see that reaction to the EU ruling uh, from some quarters, and um, it's certainly the argument that Uber has made over and over again. Um, Uber has appealed to its customers to get customers to put uh, pressure on governments to change restrictive regulations, particularly at the city level. They've been quite effective um, in doing that, so I think we'll We'll kind of hear that argument over and over. I do sense that the the, the tone of the discussion is shifting a bit. You know, it, it's not just Uber, but in general this year, the focus on how some of these big tech companies whose platforms influence us so much uh, can't automatically be assumed to only be forces for good in their in their approach to innovation, but there can be negative consequences. Um, all the hits to Uber's reputation, as we've described, just more familiarity with how the some of the conditions affecting the the people filling these independent contractor roles are, are really um, pretty negative. You know, at, at first, with lots of subsidies, uh, Uber drivers were making out very well, and uh, a lot of Uber drivers will now claim that there have been so many cuts in rates and, and uh, increases in the share that they have to pay that now they really have to scramble to survive in a situation where they don't have any benefits or guarantees. So, you know, the situation has changed in ways that make Ubers and other gig economy companies' treatment of individuals doing the work um, less kind of acceptable in society's eyes. Valerio? Well, I, I think, yes, um, I, I, I do agree. Uh, but I think that um, attacking the EU on the basis that it's uh, uh, lacking in, uh, in innovation won't be a very, um, a, a very good strategy. This is not what is perceived in, in the EU. The, the EU is not normally perceived as uh, ampering innovation per se. Actually, they are uh, quite innovative in their approach normally, maybe Sometimes they are perceived to be even more too too much innovative in their approach. So I don't think this is gonna this is gonna work. Also because the court doesn't say that you need to ban Uber, uh, right. doesn't impose to do anything like that. It just says that you can regulate Uber on the basis of transportation rules because Uber runs a transportation service, and this is this is basically uh, what the court has found, and uh, it's. Uh, um, it's quite uncontestable that Uber provides the transportation service. Uh, so I don't think this, this is actually going to work this time. And I also agree with the fact that maybe two or three years ago, we might have uh, heard much more of a protest from consumers, etc. But now the consumers also start to realize that behind the techie reality of the gig economy, there's also a problem with working conditions, but it's not just about... Uh, Uber drivers, it can also be delivery riders, um, any kind of uh, um, worker involved in the, in the platform economy. So 
uh, also from that side, consumers are uh, more aware of what's going on. Right. So I'm not sure this time is going to work to uh, basically um, use the, con- the consumers to lobby against this decision. And anyway, the decision is taken. There's nothing the um, there's nothing you can do at this moment to reverse the decision. So I don't see why why they would do that. What they would probably try to do is try to have uh, a lenient uh, approach from national authorities and try maybe to lobby for reforms in national laws uh, to, to, to be allowed to operate. That's something that probably is going to happen. But uh, on the assumption that it's a transportation service as not, and it's not just a digital service. So, uh, well, we'll see. Again, it's uh, now the ball is in the end of the 28 states, and they will decide, and maybe they also will decide a different stuff in, uh, in all the 28 states. Right. So, um, but uh, again, I, I totally agree. Um, Probably we won't uh, we won't have a, a, that much of a backlash that we, we could have expected two years ago. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Valerio. John Paul, thank you as well. You're welcome. Thank My you. Pleasure. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.